Hello and welcome to another episode of the Roach Coach Podcast, the journey to create the new metal canon. My name is Lauren Kozlowski. With me, as always, is the indigo angel, Jennifer Sosha. Hello. And the original Roach Rider, Mr. Matt Nas. Keep it rolling, baby. There we go, ladies and gentlemen. We're back with you, back for another episode of Roach Coach, creating this new metal canon, one album of a time, one album at a time. This week, we are talking about a record and also a book. Ooh. That's right. That's right. This week, we are talking all about Tattoo the Earth, The First Crusade, a record that was a document of the first Tattoo the Earth tour in 2000. But we are also going to talk about a, a book written by Scott Alderman called Caravan of Pain, The True Story of the Tattoo the Earth Tour. Jenny, you and I read this book, and uh, we we heard about this book, and we were like, oh, we have to do this record, and we have to read this book, Um, really just based on the cover. And I can say, over the past week or so of us uh, discussing this over text, and that uh, we learned a lot. We did. And so, yeah, we're going to dive into this book. We're going to dive into this album. We're going to dive into Tattoo the Earth. And as we record this, Jenny, you told us this information I did not even know. As we record this episode today, August 27th, what is happening? The return of Tattoo the Earth is happening. There's a show happening at the Palladium Outdoors in Worcester, Mass., it's the revival of Tattoo the Earth. It's happening today. Just so happened. This was wow. not planned. Yeah, this is the universe, baby. That's right. That's right. That's the universe. That's so. the universe, baby. Hey, the universe <laughs> yeah. is doing really important stuff, oh, like lining God. up us recording a Tattoo the Earth episode <laughs> on the day of the 20-year revival of Tattoo the Earth. <laughs> the spheres have done it again. You know, there's a lot of stuff that they could be doing. <laughs> They're just like, I think I'd rather <laughs> no, no, do that. No, 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 no. Line up Tattoo the Earth, yeah. please. This seems easier. <laughs> Way easier. <laughs> You know what? I would argue based on this book, maybe not so. You know what? Good point. <laughs> you know? Really good this. point. We'll start with this album. Jenny, when did Tattoo the Earth, The First Crusade come out? It came out on October 24th, 2000. Oh, wow. So that's the thick of it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is a very thick of it situation all around. So, Jenny, I, I think I want to go to you here. So let's talk about Let's talk about this book. And I think none of us, none of us attended Tattoo the Earth, correct? That is correct. Right. Even though we had the option to, because this record was recorded at the Phoenix Plaza in Pontiac, Michigan on July 30th, 2000. Oh, well then Uh, I feel like audioly we will be there. Right. We've all been to the Phoenix Plaza in some capacity. Jenny, oh, yeah. did you see any shows? Who who'd you see at the Phoenix Plaza? Uh, I saw actually days before this show, I was at the Warped Tour at Phoenix Plaza. That was on July twenty third, two thousand. So the week before, I was there. You and I were there. Oh, although we didn't know each other. We did not know each other because that was the one with wow. some forty one Deftones. 
Uh, oh, geez, it's hard to remember. Let, I'm going to look it up. Yeah, look it up because I can't remember. I just remember that I went to Warp Tour every year. And I think that was the first or second year that I went. And I remember Phoenix Plaza well. It was very hot. I definitely saw Sloan at the Phoenix Plaza. Um, very on brand for me. I believe that was 2005. Was that um, a free show? Yes, I believe it was in art, back when Arts Beats and Eats was still down in Pontiac. Yes. So yeah, I actually, I think I saw Sloan twice at Arts Beats and Eats down when they were in Pontiac. Yeah, I did. I saw him in 2003, and then I saw him again in 2005. I remember the 2005 show was really marred by a lot of audio issues, and the 2003 show, they followed Collective Soul. So that's that's what the lineup was for me there. A little less intense than Tattoo the Earth, I will say. Maybe so. Maybe um, so. Yeah. Uh, I also remember weird parking situations both times. Like, we just parked a place and we're like, feels feels good? Feels like the place to be? Maybe? <laughs> I guess. Uh, yeah, but the uh, the shows, uh, yeah, the show was at the Phoenix Plaza in uh, yeah in Pontiac, Michigan. I mean, they say in the book that they recorded it and then were blown away that it sounded good, <laughs> and we're like, okay, great. Yeah, they were like, we had one shot to do this, and it actually turned out pretty well. <laughs> so that might have been their only win based on the stories yeah. told in this book. Um, a quick aside, Arts Beats and Eats, I feel like more than, and maybe this is just true of any festival like this, but I feel like their musical lineups are always bonkers. Yes. Yes. This year, their headliners are Fits in the Tantrum, Average White Band, Chevelle, 311, <laughs> Sponge, Rob Bass and Montel Jordan, and Flo Rida. Crazy. Something am, for that's everybody. Nuts. That's nuts. That's truly all over the place. Yeah. I mean, I remember uh, a few years ago, wasn't it like Gin Blossoms and Third Eye Blind? I think. It, it was definitely Gin Blossoms, probably Third Eye Blind. No, I remember uh, Now I remember I was in broadcasting school and I went the second time and I offhandedly mentioned to an instructor that I was going to Arts, Beats, and Eats that weekend and he was like, Oh yeah, gonna see some bands, and I was like, "Oh, this guy's a fucking prick." Okay, fair enough. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. He was not a beloved teacher. No, um, <laughs> no. Uh, so yeah, so I have a physical copy of the uh, of the CD here. Um, where did I pick this up from? That would be good to know. I oh, it's on the back. I picked this up from Second and Charles. For a sweet four dollars and thirty-five cents. That's a and, a, yeah. a great deal. Yeah, it was a great deal, especially since I had been to some other places who I will not put on blast who have this album and they have it listed as OOP out of print. What? And they would be charging they'd be charging a sweet twenty dollars. And I said, mm, mm, uh, no thanks. Uh, uh, not my first radio. Mm, I'm uh, I'm gonna keep uh, keep digging around, and our boys, the second and Charles, came through for me. I was a little worried that it was going to be censored because it had no parental advisory on the front, and I figured if it's a live show, 
featuring some of these bands that I might get some F-bombs. I just want to let everybody know you get the F-bombs. You get the F-bombs. Good, 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 good. So that felt really good. Um, Jenny, let's dive into this book a little bit. Your feelings, your thoughts. It was truly a wild ride. I remember... You know, when you suggested this, I was like, for sure. And when I started, I think I got started a little bit before you. And I just sent you a text that was like, you started this book yet? Because <laughs> it's <laughs> fucking insane. Like, it's, uh, I don't know. The style of uh, of storytelling in it is just so like a person just telling you a story. It, it just feels like somebody relating a story to you and going off on lots and lots of tangents. Um, the way that this idea came to be and the like doggedness with which this is pursued without knowing any real background about Scott Alderman is like, it feels bonkers. Like basically he tells you vaguely, like I quit my job my job in like I don't remember if he said this or if I like looked it up, but it was like in I have, finance. I have I have the section here in front of me. Yes, because please do. this all takes this all takes place. I want I want to put some context here. This is page six. Okay, <laughs> all right. So so there's a paragraph. I'll just, I'll just start this one paragraph. While two dominatrixes dressed as nurses fake pulled a tooth from a writhing patient with a giant pair of pliers, I was spewing out Tattoo the Earth ideas as if possessed. Shouting in Sean's ear to overcome blaring techno and dental screams, I laid out a whole plan for a type of tattoo festival that had never been done before. Sean did tattoo conventions all over the world, so he knew it was already out there. What I was talking about, a mainstream tattoo and music festival, had never been attempted before. Nothing even close. I'm like, okay, there's a lot going on in that paragraph. Next paragraph. I'd met Sean six months earlier, the morning I told my boss and best friend to go fuck himself, quit my job, and walked across West 36th Street to Sean's shop, Triple X Tattoo. There, Sean inscribed a tribal tattoo on my left wrist, the first tattoo I'd gotten that wasn't hidden by my shirt, to commemorate that pivotal moment in my life, one I hoped would lead to positive changes. And then it goes into the history of tattoos in New York City. And I'm like, whoa, whoa hold on, slow down, buddy. You told your best friend to fuck himself? Like, what, what's that all about? Are we going to find out what's going on with that? No. And the answer is no and yes. Sometimes. Sometimes, but not really. No, I'll tell you now. There were so many questions I had about Scott Alderman's life. I was very pleased to find that he has actually written a memoir. Uh, and I was like, excellent. Because I got a lot of fucking questions, man. <laughs> I read it. <laughs> They were not answered. We got like a lot of like his early life and a lot of stuff that I think led him up to the part where he started working with this person who was his best friend. But we didn't get that piece of the story. There's a gap. I need another book. I need a yeah. book that talks about the gap from where his memoir leaves off and how we get to him starting Tattooed here. There's just a gap for me. Um yeah. It is a wild book, and it's very fun to read, I will say. If you're in the market, pop that yeah. little bitch open and read it. <laughs> it's And it's, yeah, it's it's pretty short. It's like 145 pages, I want to say. Yeah, 147 pages. And it 
it moves so quickly through insanity to insanity. He brings up and drops things page to page. Um, something crazy is happening all the time. Then he'll start talking about something that feels really juicy, and then he'll just be like, I'm going to leave out some crucial details. At one point, he gets arrested, and you don't know why, and you never know why, but then then he's like, yeah, don't worry. Then I like move some money around, and then I was out. Don't worry about it. I was like, how am I? I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, the money. The money. That's the thing I was trying to like point. So in his like memoir, you do learn that Scott Alderman was basically raised. It seems like pretty well to do. I don't want to accuse anybody of being rich (laughs) or maybe I do, but I I think he was like a pretty, he was a pretty like well off kid. The, his relationship to money it coming from somebody who has been accused of being rich, but definitely isn't. I, the whole book, I'm just like, where's this money coming from? Cause he's talking about how he has, he's like, absolutely just like, it's like Tom Petty talking about how his songs come to him. He's like, they just come to me and then I have them. And it's this idea. Like he's like, possessed by this idea for a tattoo the earth he goes all in he's like if i'm a businessman then i need to be staying somewhere that seems like legit so he just lives in the plaza for question mark amount of time like he's just like living in the plaza he's flying around all over the place no job that he mentions whatsoever he says he just like quit his job i'm like how are you fucking doing this He just happens to have like all of these like weird connections, which does make more sense because when I read his memoir, he mentions in the Tattoo the Earth book that he had worked at a couple of like music clubs, like in jazz clubs. But he had worked he his dad basically tried to buy him a jazz club and it fell through because of a liquor license thing. But he had been working with a lot of very well-known jazz musicians, taking them on tours through Europe, like managing tours. He'd been doing a lot of this type of stuff, which doesn't really get mentioned in the book, which was another huge gap for me. I'm like, so you just like had this idea and like just decided that you knew like I was like, what the fuck? How? Like this guy's like confidence. Where's this money coming from? Made a lot more sense when I found out that he had a lot of experience touring around with like jazz musicians through like Europe and like had like run, booked and owned like a jazz club for a while. Like, uh, you know, I don't know. This book also is really good for dropping stuff that feels extremely significant to me and never, ever following up. Mm. The arrest is one example of that. Like you said, Lauren, the other thing that really struck me is uh, this book in a lot of ways is like a story about Scott Alderman and his friend, Sean Vasquez. Um, And he mentions that like he became friends with Sean through getting tattoos. He got really into tattoos And he just casually mentions that, like, he really admired Sean because he just, like, followed his dream and he left his, like, wife and kid to just, like, pursue his dream of tattooing and partying all the time and his life fucking ruled. And I was like, well, you mentioned that he left his wife and kids. I thought we might return to that. Not a not 
nary a mention. It's just like, oh, okay. Well, I hope they're all right. (laughs) (laughs) Sean was like, see ya, wouldn't want to be ya, gotta get to Tatton. Yeah, and and Scott Alderman was like, a fucking hero. (laughs) Wow, dude, you fucking did it. (laughs) High fives all day. Yeah, and I mean, like, by all accounts, it seems like this Scott, uh, not Scott, I'm sorry, Sean was like very charismatic really doing it really living his life and uh he has since passed so r.i.p um you know but wow stuff just dropping stuff like that that's the whole book like people are Mm -hmm. like getting injured their lives are getting threatened just like yep all these bikers showed up and we hadn't received the proper blessings to do tattoos in this place so they basically said that they were gonna like kill paul booth if we did this and uh (sighs) yep so then on to the next place where there was a dust storm (laughs) that almost blinded someone (laughs) well i don't know we'll go on to the next place it was a million degrees there was a flash flood and our photographer almost lost his eye well anyway we kept going no food for anybody it was and uh, that was pretty interesting it was pretty much like just that over and over and over again yeah five women went into labor during uh during one of the sets ah what a mess anyway yeah matt i mean well the surprise for me reading this book was that there was only one tattoo the earth tour um i that my blows my mind yeah, I thought this was a running thing for years. There was only one, and this book is really a story of failure, of how they tried to get this going, and maybe half the shows were successful, and half of them were undersold, or they were banned, um, and yeah, they, there was yeah, the book basically ends in like, we tried, but didn't really work out, but then here we are, from the ashes of failure, as we record this today, Tattoo the Earth... Worcester, Mass. It's happening. Jenny, did you run through who's going to be at the new Tattoo of the Earth? I haven't talked about it yet, but I can. Uh, this is a one-off, to be clear. This is a one-time show, and then they're thinking of trying to build it into something, is my understanding, based on listening to the the Patios Life podcast, uh, that it seems that Scott worked with those guys to put it together a short series, and if you're interested, check it out. Um, so today you're not going to be able to go to this if you didn't already know about it, but just know that the, uh, the lineup for the 20 years, the crusade returns tattoo the earth, uh, festival is we'll start with a headliner and just move our way down anthrax black label society, hate breed, the red cord at the gates, municipal waste, Bleeding Through, Terror, Crowbar, Overcast, Within Ruins, Enforced, and Spirit Adrift. There's a Tattoo Village hosted by Joe Peterson and Zaza Inc. Featuring the top tattoo artists in Massachusetts. I don't know shit about that. But I'll tell you, I fucking love At The Gates and Municipal Waste and Hatebreed and Terror. And I'm okay with Crowbar and I think the Red Court is a good band too. I would love to go to this show. You know what else they did? And Lauren, you appreciated this. On yes. the website, the set times are all up there. Fuck yeah. So you know what to expect. Which is fantastic. They got whiskey tasting. They've got food drugs. I hope yes. they figured out the tattoo village thing because that seemed like the hardest part based on the book. 
Yeah. That was that was one of the seems like I don't know I don't want to accuse anybody of not giving it enough uh forethought, although it seems like Scott had it all planned. But it seemed like they would go somewhere and they'd be like, Yeah, you guys can't tattoo here. And they're like, What? All right. And then we had to tell everybody and everybody was cool about it. Then they go to the next place and they'd be like, Yeah, you guys can't tattoo here. And they'd be like, All right, well, you know, then or, or they're always setting up because makeshift tattoo locations. Isn't it and I okay. So I I guess before we get into it, we gotta have a little tattoo talk. I don't sure. know. Tat talk. I don't know. <laughs> That's there she is. Yeah. The, there she is. Because yeah, I have yeah. no tattoos. Lauren. I have no tattoos. But Jenny. Yes. So this this means I know nothing about tattoos. But I I don't really know a lot about tattoos either, but I do have some. So but I'll... you've actually entered a tattoo shop and gotten work done. I have, yes. <laughs> and my presupposition is that there are certain health standards that all tattoo shops have to meet. And because uh, America is America, there's probably 50 different health standards per state and licensing that might have to be obtained for artists? Yes. So I I don't know the details of this, but what I do understand based on this book specifically is that at the time tattooing was like a much less common situation and the legality of it was kind of all over the place like it's not like it was now where there were kind of like consistent standards which or more consistent standards it was sort of all over the place and very like by state maybe even by county like it, it seems like it just wasn't as like Laid it out. just wasn't as prevalent or mainstream as it is now. So I think that added like an additional layer of difficulty. But I mean, I feel, yeah, like there were just a lot of issues with it. It seemed a lot to me like Scott is like a an ideas guy and a salesman sort of and less of like an implementation logistics details type of deal. This really like gave me a lot of like I have this great idea. Everybody agrees it's a great idea and I'll let other people figure out how to make it happen but we have to make it happen and it seems like so he had like two legs of a three-legged stool i that's kind of the Maybe vibe even i two got and a half or two and three quarters but it's still i mean they went so far as to like try to create this kind of like tent that they thought they might be able to like sell outside of this even that was like basically like a pod that could be that was like air conditioned that could be set up anywhere that could be sterile enough to do tattoos but i I don't think that it ever quite got to the point where that would work out because that was like a consistent theme uh the stories told in the book was like every place they went um they ran into a lot of issues booking conventional venues because at the time ozfest was going on and warped tour there were summer festivals and depending on whose account you like listen to there was like some conflict around that um with the the larger booking agents people who booked through like clear channel or live nation i think it was clear channel at the time 
like basically said like no we're not fucking booking you at any of our places and so they had like all of these like non-traditional venues like horse racing track what were some of the other ones lauren um well i mean uh they they said that they were just they were in parking lots they were at fairgrounds just they weren't yeah they weren't at the places that you would normally want to be booked and this book honestly gave me a pretty good insight into why certain bands end up the places that they are and so you're like why is my favorite band playing jimmy's crab shack and it's like behind the scenes they couldn't get booked anywhere else because of maybe some contractual thing that wouldn't let them book at a better venue right and because the venue is a clear channel venue so anything clear Mm -hmm. channel has gets first dibs well so there was a a lot in the book uh basically scott attempting to go head to head with ozfest and specifically sharon osborne and he did honestly he uh scott's a bit of a jerry Maguire in this situation he's not part of the big deal he's an independent guy and he's only got a you know a couple small clients well ozfest has got everybody and so he does there's a moment where i believe it's slipknot's manager does a handshake agreement with sharon osborne that slipknot who had blown up on the 99 Ozfest tour, we're going to headline the 2020 second stage Ozfest tour. So they were going to be like the main dudes for the second stage. And it was a handshake agreement. Or if you're a Jerry Maguire head, you remember the famous scene with, uh, I think it's Bo Bridges shaking hands uh, with Jerry Maguire saying, my word is Oak, you know, but then, couple scenes later jerry o'connell's not in anymore and so he he did so scott comes in he scoops up slipknot for tattoo the earth sharon osborne is pissed and then it's on like donkey kong with sharon according to this book doing everything she can to try to sabotage tattoo the earth and basically it's just freezing them out of venues um they can't they're, they're trying to book places and they're like well we can't put you here because ozfest was just here so also the market is also saturated so it's like everybody just went to ozfest three days ago they're not going to come back out again and spend more money for your show because they just got ozfest so that's why a lot of these shows ended up being undersold because the market was saturated and also yeah warp tour like you said you saw warp tour days before because they also were butting heads against Warp Tour too, because there was a overlap in the same way there, a lot of the same audience. So um, yeah, this was just very eye opening in, in the uh, the logistics of band booking, and it also is this thing I remember years ago, not that actually not that long ago. LP from Run the Jewels posted on Twitter, and he said, "If you don't see us booked in your town, it's not my fault. It's Booker's." We put it out that we're touring and every city reaches out to us and says, we want to book you or they don't reach out to us. So then we don't play your town. It's as simple as that. There's nothing else to it. So once again, I read this book and I say, I look at LP's quote and I say, where's the lie? It's true. You know, tattoo the earth, put it out there. And they're like, yeah, we'll book you. We're going to put you in a horse farm, (laughs) you know? And uh, cold, you know, and your band's going to have to play at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Oh, yeah. The, I mean, yeah, the, we get uh, the back of the book. You get all of the set times 
of when uh, when everyone played. And, I mean, just, yeah, when they played in Dallas, Texas, Sunday, August 6th, there was a 9 o'clock curfew, which means Slipknot played at 8 p.m. and had to wow. be done by 9. Wow, wow, wow. That's crazy to me. Well, um, speaking of Slipknot. Yeah. Should we maybe start listening to the album and continue our book talk throughout? I believe we should. <laughs> nope. I, I think should. I think we got another half an hour before we play a track. Yeah. Um, oh, I think I think before we dive in, let me yeah. read. So there is in the CD, um, there is there's actually an interesting amount of overlap between some of the text in the CD liner notes and the text in the book. Um, but in the book, uh, when he talks about the CD, he says that he was asked to write something for it. He's like, write something in the inside of the liner notes. And he fretted about this forever. And he's like, I don't want it to be some bullshit, hooey, like whatever, you know, pie in the sky type of thing. And he fretted about it and he wrote it. And then when the album came out and it got reviewed in Rolling Stone, the reviewer was like, yeah, there's some hooey in there about tattoo talk. And he was like, no. So here's what he wrote is in the liner notes. Many thousands of years ago, in a land not unlike this today, a leader and his people fought for survival. (laughs) Luap, a benevolent elder entrusted with his tribe's future, struggled with his rivals. Almost beaten, his faith weakened. He summoned protective spirits long thought lost. These spirits produced tattooed warriors who energized Luap and his people to defeat their enemies. These warriors continue the struggle today. Musicians, artists, poets... And now they are on the crusade to tattoo the earth, beach by beach, continent by continent. These crusaders struggle against tyranny as they bring the word to the masses. They are the messengers, and this is their message. Yeah. Wow. I can just say that Luop and his tribe are not mentioned in this book. <laughs> I am. I do not know who Luop is. Yeah. That's pretty funny. It is funny that he's like, I just don't want people to like rip on me for what I write. And it, his his partner was like, they're not. Nobody gives a shit what's in the like the liner notes. And then they were just like, the this first fucking guy. Was like, these liner notes are these liner them. notes. <laughs> I man, I will say though that is like what he wrote feels so on brand for the way that he describes himself and his process and who he is in this book. Like it surprised me 0% that that's what he wrote. And it also surprises me 0% that people were like, wow, what the fuck dude? That's a lot. It's a lot. He just seems like an extremely, he just seems like a person who feels a lot and gets like really passionate about stuff and just digs the fuck in, you know? Uh, so hell, I mean, he willed a concert into existence. Yeah. I do have a question that I don't know that we'll be able to answer. And we do need to listen to this record. Um, when he says like he was asked to write something by who, because wasn't this his thing? Or was there, I don't remember, is there somebody else who, like, took the lead on making this album? Like, was that somebody else's push? Do you remember? I can't remember. I feel like it was a situation more of just that, I mean, you have, 
you know, here in the credits, it says that Tattoo the Earth, produced by Paul Zukowski, created by Scott uh, Alderman, tour production manager Ron Hosfeld. Yeah, you run through everybody. So the actual album itself, I mean, I don't, I mean, it may be a situation where they were just like, somebody needs to say something in this. There needs to be some sort of text inside. And then they're like, well, go to Scott. It's his, it's his baby. He uh, created okay. it. Yeah. And then, yeah, that's probably what it came back to. I mean, yeah. Yeah, that makes I mean, sense. It, it's just sort yeah. of funny to me to read like, oh, they needed somebody to do it. And I'm like, you're, you're the captain <laughs> of this ship, man. <laughs> well, all right. Let's listen to this, this live recording. We are going to some old dear friends here in Slipknot with Liberate Live. So how the fuck are you feeling today, people? I tell you what, it is so fucking good to see all of you here and supporting metal the way it should fucking be. Right now, we are going to see how fucking crazy this world really is, goddammit. I need to see every fucking fist in the fucking air. We're gonna see how high you can fucking jump, people. Start this fucking song, man. thing matt Corey, opening this sh- this album like this shouting out the crowd every fist in the fucking air i mean this is a hot open and they milk it and i i was hyped every time that they that i heard this this the this was i was like oh man i wrote my notes they're ripping they're ripping it's classic chat track he says we're gonna fucking explode man yeah, this is how it's done. This is how you start a record. And yeah, I'm I gotta imagine they got these tapes back and listened to them and went, Oh, this sounds pretty good. <laughs> Let's it, do it. It does sound pretty good. And I will say it also sounds like they're saying liberate bananas. And I know Thank that I you. said that on the episode when we <laughs> did the album, but I heard it and I was like, it sounds like they're saying bananas still to me <laughs> to this I don't even, day i don't actually remember what they're actually saying i was like this hits my ears as bananas i'm pretty sure it's liberate my madness right i mean <laughs> i don't litigate, i don't know i refuse litigates. to know for me it's liberate bananas and you know that's that <laughs> that is that there you go 
Jenny, how'd you feel about this as as a as a as an opener? I mean, if you're gonna open this record, that's how you do it. It's a hot open. Very hot open. Matt, liberate live. Love it, man. Like, of course. Let's go. Let's fucking go. Yeah, I was um yeah, I was very happy with this. The back of the CD has um what looks to be I think like a, a heavily filtered sepia toned, I don't know, a million filters situation of I uh, gotta just take away my slipknot cred card here, but um I think it's Sid being crowd surfed. I think he's the one who had like the gas mask mask in mm-hmm. this era. Yeah, and uh, I will say underneath the CD is a drawing of a, looks like some sort of winged demon with I hate art tattooed on their arm. Wow, wow, wow. Uh, Very, uh, very striking image. And uh, the CD itself has what looks like uh, a melted skull face. Yeah. Oh boy, I didn't really look at this before, yeah. But that has eyeballs. So you know it's there's something extra crazy and inside the liner notes you also have photos of uh, a lot of the tattoo artists who are on the tour there's also a picture of scott getting tattooed and um, there's also the uh definition from the dictionary of what a tattoo means so (laughs) webster's dictionary defines tattoo as a marking oh yeah a permanent marker design on the skin by a process of pricking and ingraining an indelible pigment or by raising scars. Mm. Wow, wow, wow. You know what we didn't do? What didn't we (laughs) do? I think we're too close because we did not say which bands were on this tour other than Slipknot. Oh, we haven't. This might be relevant information for people listening to the the sun on this. I'm I've been in I've been too entrenched in this to give you the information you need. I apologize, everybody listening. I guess that's why you're here. I'll tell you that the bands on this tour were Slipknot, Slayer, Sepultura, Seven Dust, Head PE, Nashville Pussy, uh, Spine Shank, who replaced Puya after they dropped uh, before the tour even started. Cold Chamber was scheduled to be one of the headliners, but they also dropped before it started. We had Downset. We had Cold for a portion of the tour. We had Mudvayne, Hatebreed, Full Devil Jacket. One Minute Silence was on some of the dates. UPO was on some of the dates. I didn't know who that was before this. Nothing Face, Professional Murder Music, part of the tour. Amen, Systematic, part of the tour. Esham, for some of them. Uh, workhorse movement on some of them, Relative Ash, famous. For some of these shows, they linked up with uh, local radio, like, bashes or whatever. I remember it was, like, always, like, 89X had, like, our local alternative here had, like, similar shows. So on one of their shows, Stone Temple Pilots headlined in Portland. Metallica headlined in New Jersey. We had Dope and a little bit of Lamb of God on some shows. So that's what we're working with here. This is extremely new. Extremely new. Some just straight ahead metal mixed in there. But it's very, very new. Very, very new. Um, not everyone gets mentioned in the book. Um, cold, I don't think it mentioned at all. Like I think they just say that they're there. But there's nothing about Cold really in the book. There is a chapter called Puya, We Hardly Knew Ya. Um, about Puya leaving the tour and uh, this band famous who have what looks like they once had a 
a Wikipedia page, but it's now been deleted. Um, they uh, they were um, I, oh man, I I can't remember the exact detail now, and I apologize, but they were the band of someone who was helping with the show, and so they let that person's band open, and everyone was kind of like, "Who is this band? No one knows who they are. Why are you even letting them play at all?" And it was like, no, no, this guy helped out a lot. We can let his band play for 20 minutes. And uh, and then he's like, then we watched them play. And we're like, oh, yeah, they're not great. But it's okay because they're playing at 1245 a.m. Uh, 12.45 p.m. So it's fine. Should mention, these set times, not only were they early, they were short. Bands were getting 20 minutes to perform. Holy um, shit. I'm just going to run you – I'll just run this through. This was when they played the Mercedes Showgrounds in Mercedes, Texas – on Friday, August 4th, 2000. UPO played from 12.30 to 12.50. Workhorse Movement from 1 to 1.20. Full Devil Jacket, 1.30 to 5.30. Hate Breed from 2.10 to 2.30. Relative Ash from 2.50 to 3.10. And it just runs down. Everybody gets 20 minutes. And the only people that got more than 20 minutes were Nashville Pussy. They got, looks like they got about 40 minutes. But Mudvayne, 6.10 to 6.30. Mudvayne had 20 minutes. Also, it's wild to think that like Relative Ash were higher placed in the set list than Hatebreed, all things considered. Did they just fucking uh, keep the back line up and like not even change drums? Like, I Matt, have no idea how on earth. Like, I, I don't really. If yeah, I were, were a band on that tour, I would be like, what are we doing? Oh, well, Matt, um, Matt, they this... were. They were. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, oh, by, cool. you guys by, might have buried the lead there. Oh yeah, so I guess maybe we didn't say this, but this tour was a fucking disaster and was apparently not run like any tour is normally run. The photographer for this tour was somebody who just desperately wanted to photograph a tour, had been doing some, like was based out of Atlanta, knew the dudes in Seven Dust, had been doing some photography for magazines but really wanted an opportunity to be on a tour so we reached out to like scott alderman cold and uh sent his portfolio and he was like if you can make it to portland when the tour starts like you can be on this tour and so he did he took like a greyhound bus all the way there wasn't paid a dime was on like apparently these tour buses were like packed with people it's not like a tour bus where there's like eight bunks or something it's like fucking tons of people on these buses more like and a school bus yeah basically and he did an interview for this this patio slave uh you know run of shows about this and they said you know it sounds like this tour was a disaster how did you come to continue because he continued doing tours and doing photography and now he's like a filmmaker and he's he's still doing this and they said like why did you keep doing this if this was your first experience and he's like because every single person that was on this tour that had toured before said that none of them are this fucking bad none of them are like this (laughs) and so he kept going and i don't think we're like shit talking saying this i mean this is like pretty much what the book tells you is that like they were learning along the way, but it was a complete fucking disaster. There were almost constant revolts of either the tattoo artists feeling like they weren't getting the attention they deserved or their due. 
uh, the entire crew and bands because they weren't being fed. Like, it just sounds like they just, it just wasn't, wasn't working out. It wasn't working out. Yeah, the food situation, uh, it seemed like venue to venue, city to city, they would run into issues where um, the the caterer that they got would not did not know how to feed like a group this big so the first day the food would be really good and then the second day they'd be like uh enjoy some lunchables or something like everyone was like wait what happened the food was so good the first day and then they would then we go to do a new place and like okay can we get somebody better here and then and then that person would be like yeah you know here, here's some you know they, they it would be like really day to day are, is the food here going to be good or is the food here going to be bad or is there going to be no food which uh would then per- turn into a problem and i mean i was reading this and sometimes i was like can a motherfucker just order a pizza like is that not an option <laughs> good yeah. cue well i'll tell you what i kind of feel yeah. like listening to another song <laughs> i do, do too it. Let's, do <laughs> it. Okay. let's do it let's do it up next we got stain of mind live by our friends in slayer This is another song off of Diablos for you, man. This is right here, the decline of the civilization, right here as we know it. Okay, the rats are in town too. This is this is stain of mine. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that is from uh, Diabolus and Musica, which you may or may not remember was an episode we did of this show. Jenny, is that still a blind spot for you the time we did Slayer on the show? Yep. Okay. It sure is. I was going to uh, say, is this our first intro to Slayer? But I felt like it, it's, it can't be. <laughs> and I knew better than to say it. But since you called that out. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I was able to find the set list for the Slayer set, and they did three songs off Diabolus and Musica at this set. Um, so clearly that was the push there. If you want to know, the two songs they did from Rain and Blood were Angel of Death and Raining Blood. Uh, they closed with Angel of Death. There you go. And actually, this song was the last song they played before the encore. So interesting choice. I found this pretty much the same way I felt about that Slayer record. It's fine, kind of unremarkable, like Slayer doing what Slayer does. I'm not really a huge Slayer person, so it was fine. That was fine. Jenny? I like Slayer. This isn't my favorite era of Slayer, but, you know, whatever. I think they're a good band, so I was into it. I want to know what they were apologizing for up top, but (laughs) we'll never get to know. We'll never know. We'll never know that. (laughs) I mean, considering what happened on this tour, I mean... Yeah, it sounded like there was a little, uh, little old Johnny uh, Ghost in the Machine there. 
uh, some feedback, some some tech issues. Can happen, especially when you know when you're playing in the acoustic dream that is the Phoenix Plaza. That's right. The acoustics in that parking lot to die for. <laughs> mm, <Yes>. This roof <laughs> rules. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, I think we're ready for the next one. Yeah, let's get some songs going here. Up next, we get to hang out with our friends in Seven Dust. We've got Waffle Live. Mr. 420 sure does. Can I get how it's all tonight? This is a song called Waffle. sound good live he sure does he sure does yeah when they were doing this tour this was basically right after the home album came out so they're leaning they're leaning into some of the new stuff i pulled up the set list here most of the set lists are incomplete on setlist.fm but the but from what i can tell the set list was uh rumblefish denial black crumbled waffle too close to hate and then they closed every night with bitch that's a pretty solid. I think they were getting about. They were on the main stage, so they were getting probably around forty minutes um, of stage time, forty-five minutes. So they had a little more time to to dig in. Um, but also, I mean, if you're seeing seven dust at the time, you're just getting you're getting prime dust. You know, you're not gonna get any dross. You know, uh, but also with that little amount of stage time, everybody's got to bring. They got to bring it all. You know, there's no time for anything else. I thought this sounded good. I've always liked Waffle. I wrote in my notes that this is a crisp recording. Seven does sound chuggy and chunky. There's a part at one point where Lejean does a toss to the audience to have them sing along, and they all know the words. So the Seven Dust hardcores definitely showed up. I mean, I have to remark on this opening, how many of you beautiful people want to get high? I was like, oh boy. Wow, did not expect all the weed talk from, considering who's on this album, considering who we're still going to get to, that Lejean is the guy talking about weed the most on it. That, that was a surprise true. to me. That was a surprise to me. 
Um, I will say, based off of what I know about the facilities and food and everything else for this festival, I have a feeling that if you were under the influence of anything, you might be in a little bit of trouble because you smoke a lot of weed, going to yeah. get some dry mouth, and if you can't get any water, you're going to be in trouble. Wow, wow, wow. You don't want them trubs. You don't want them trubs. When you smoke in uh, them shrubs. Oh, oh man, the new Captain 420 over here. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. The captain. Uh, I think that's an captain. upgrade. Just call me General Green, you know. <laughs> wow, 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 wow. Oh man. Smoke Archduke smoke. Puff. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, any other thoughts on waffle? I don't think so. No. They sound good. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm. That's my thought. <laughs> that is, yeah, that's yep. the general thought. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Buckle up. They sound good. <laughs> this professional rock and roll band sounds good. Yeah, they yeah. did it. You want to keep going? Please. Yeah, let's listen to another song. We've got uh, our boys in Sepultura are here with Choke Live. This is a very hot recording of this song. I think this might actually be better than the studio version um, that we did, because um, this was uh, this was from the first album they did after Max left um, against. And I wrote my notes. These boys are tearing it up here. I was pleasantly surprised at how much this rips. I wrote, "Well done. Get in the pit." So yeah, I thought this was great. I mean, it is a reminder that you know the Sepultura sound. As much as there is Max in there, obviously, as a huge architect, the other guys are also doing doing the work, too. And Andrea's kisser is no uh, no slouch when it comes to, to ripping shit up. So, I, uh, yeah, I thought this was great. Jenny? Agree. No argument for me. This ruled. Um, and it was fun to listen to. Matt? Yeah. I mean, come on. If you were in that pit, you're getting activated, baby. That's You're fully getting true. activated. But you also might have a tattoo needle in your arm. Ugh. You might. I mean, you might. that, uh, you know, that that is one of the things that was actually really interesting to me about this book is hearing how much it seems like the tattoo artists were just pissed off the whole time. 
which is understandable because they could only tattoo like part of the time. They ended up like doing a lot of like art and just drawing because they needed something to do. Um, So they started, I forget exactly what they called it, but it's some kind of collaborative like art project where this person working on the tour basically set up a bunch of huge pieces of paper, got some charcoal and people would like the artists would be drawing for 20 minutes and then they would like shift and start working on the other person's piece of art for another 20 minutes. And so all of them together made all of these like collaborative pieces of art. But it basically seemed like trying to like <laughs> just distract them from Use the completely. time that they had to do something. Yeah. Yeah, because there were there. It seems like there was almost never a great place for them to set up when there were great places for them to set up. Sometimes like it just wasn't possible for it to be sterile enough to like comfortably do this stuff uh you know it just seemed like it was really hard and then also like there weren't that many people who were like necessarily willing to be tattooed under those circumstances as well uh which seemed like another thing but there were like a lot of really like world-renowned well-known tattoo artists one of the things that um they talk about a lot in the book too was that the the culture of tattooing is sort of like a a tight-knit group of people and they weren't necessarily super open to outsiders and scott was very much an outsider scott did describe one or two of his tattoos and i'll tell you one that was described absolutely had me jaw on the floor completely agape and lauren do you know what tattoo i'm talking about i don't think i do i, okay. I, mean, I know that he, he he was talking about like so many i mean the thing while you look that up the thing that was very striking was that yeah they would be setting up in these places that i would just think as someone who's never gotten a tattoo but if i were to get one i would not want to get here. one and say the parking lot of the Phoenix Plaza, you know, and there's a part early on where he goes to a tattoo convention with his wife and they're getting tattooed in a convention hall and it's super loud and everyone's just walking around. So you're literally like feet from people who are walking by with like bags and like, you know, conventioners. And he said it was just like incredibly loud and overwhelming. And I was like, yeah, these sound like terrible places to get a tattoo with everything I know about it. And Jenny, I wanted to go to you. I mean, I know a thing, um, and they bring it up in the book as well, that there's nothing that people who have tattoos hate more than being asked about their tattoos by people who don't have tattoos. But that is what I'm about to do. Um, So Jenny, I know you have, um, I was about to say your most famous tattoo, the tattoo everyone (laughs) knows you for, is your library book, Sleeve. I, I mean, does everybody know me for famous, 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 Jen famous, famous, yes. famous Jen I'm, yes, it's extremely famous, extremely famous. And um, I imagine that was that was that was a multi sitting situation. Yes, it was. Yeah. And I imagine for you, you, you wouldn't have want that done at the phoenix plaza parking lot or something no, like that i mean no, you know no, you, not for me you wanted like a, a more chill like can you can you tell us a little bit because i really don't know anything about it because i've been following the code but i figure now is the time oh okay um what do you want to know i mean 
I guess, what was the inspiration? Was was this your first? This wasn't your first. No, it wasn't my first tattoo. Okay. But I guess, like, did you have an inspiration? Like, what was, like, I mean, like, booking-wise, was it a long process or, like? Um, I mean, it, it took a long time to do. It took probably four or five, three to four hour sessions. Um, my, the inspiration for it was simply that I like to read and I like books. So I was like, you know what? I'll just get a tattoo of a whole bunch of books. It's books and flowers. It was partially, I really like Tiffany stained glass and stained glass in general. So uh, there's like a little bit of that going in there. I, I don't know. It wasn't like some big, some big thing that I was like, this is going to symbolize, you know, whatever. Like I, I simply like to read. I like stained glass and I like flowers and <laughs> I mean, I, I when I got it, too, I was like 22, 23-ish, you know? I, I I don't know. I got it a long time ago, so it's kind of hard to, like, remember exactly. But it wasn't, like, some... It didn't feel like some huge monumental decision or anything like that. It's just a, just a tattoo. So, mm. um, yeah. I don't know. Well, it- uh, how, did you, how did you choose the artist? Uh, this artist had done tattoos on a friend of mine that I really liked. And, um, when I met him, he seemed like really nice and cool. So that was it. And when you're there, you said like a couple three to four hour sessions. I mean, are you just, I mean, like they're playing music and you're just there. Are you guys talking? Like, what was your, I mean, you just, you just sort of just, you're there. And I mean, is it bad to talk to them? Are they distract? I mean, is it vary by artist to artist? I mean, that's the thing. I, I mean, if they're, I mean, inscripting it in your skin forever, I feel like you wouldn't want to distract them too much. So I would just sort of leave them be. No, I mean, we talked um, mm-hmm. pretty much the whole time. And I don't know. Uh, I guess it's probably different for everybody. It probably depends on the person. But uh, yeah, I mean, um, well, I guess. I, I really don't have that many tattoos. I think I just have like a sleeve. So it seems like I have a lot of tattoos, but I don't. I have that tattoo and I have two other very small tattoos that were completely different experiences. Like <laughs> I was telling you all before we started recording, the first tattoo I ever got was when I was 17 years old. And we live very close to Canada um, where I guess you can get a tattoo if you're not 18 there. Um, or maybe not. I don't really know. But my friend and I went to Canada to get tattoos. And um, when the artist asked me how old I was, I said 17. And he said, wrong answer. And I said 18. And he said, there we go. Uh, so I got a small tattoo. Then the other tattoo I got was on the inside of my lip. So we did not talk while I was getting that tattoo. Um, and that one um, fell out. So I don't know. Maybe... Sometimes if you get like tattoos on certain areas of your body, I I don't know if like maybe they're, I don't know how feasible it is to keep a tattoo on the inside of your lip. Um, I do know that (laughs) um, one of our, a person that I am, I would say acquaintances with, uh, there was like a whole, there was like a time when me and a lot of my friends were getting tattoos on the inside of our lip and this person got one because ours had all like kind of just fallen out and this person got a dick tattooed on the inside of their lip and it's still there (laughs) like they must have figured it out or the artist that they went to must have like really like i don't know i don't know i don't know enough about 
No, I don't know enough about like the logistics of like tattooing different areas of, of your body or whatever. Um, but yeah, so I really only have those tattoos. It's just that one of my tattoos is maybe many tattoos and it's like quite large. So I don't, mm. I'm, I'm certainly not like an expert. Um, but I mean, it was like a fine experience. It definitely hurt in some areas and didn't hurt in other areas. Like my tattoo, I didn't realize when I was getting it that a lot of people, when they get like a, a sleeve or whatever, like looks to appears to be a sleeve, it's just on the front side of their arm that like faces out basically. Um, or if it goes on the inside of the arm, it doesn't go up very high because the closer you get to the armpit, it's like extremely fucking tender. And mine goes like way the fuck up there. Like it like gets into the armpit basically. Um, it's also like, of course, like all over the elbow and in the ditch of the elbow on the, on the other side. And I started noticing that like a lot of people that I knew it appeared to have like false leaves, like didn't fuck with that area. And they would see that and go, oh, my God. And I was like, yeah, it was like it was it hurt so much that it was funny to me. I was like, how can this hurt so much? Like, this is stupid. I'm paying somebody to do this to me. Um, But the guy who did it was really nice. He was really cool. He was into like a lot of weird, crazy, like sci fi shit. I don't know. The shop itself was like nice. Everybody that worked there was cool. I don't know. Nothing, nothing crazy to report, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <So>. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, um, that's good. I'm, I'm happy to hear that. Uh, I did not know uh, about the lip tattoo thing. I will say that the concept of a lip tattoo to me sounds like the worst experience of my life. I feel like having any sort of needle in my mouth is... Blah. No, thank you. Um, what did you? What was the tattoo in your mouth? It was um, the Dewey Decimal System number for where comic books start in the library. So wow, yeah. There I mean, go. that's yeah. That's what you get. Catch me in two thousand three. <laughs> <laughs> it fell out. And that's just fine with me. <laughs> that was a very specific time. Well, I've, I've heard wow. like spots like that. Hands and feet are incredibly hard places to keep tattoos like they fade at least faster I have no yeah idea. i don't know that. mitch has like tattoos on his fingers and they've been pretty solid the whole time that i've known him but i've also heard that um but i don't, I don't know it's hard maybe i'll know. maybe yeah. i'll go get a tattoo in every place that they say it'll fall out and we'll see <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, Mitch has, I mean, Mitch is all tatted. He's like full sleeves, both arms, correct? Um, not full sleeves, but he has like tattoos on both arms. Like there's okay. room to put more tattoos on his arms. Mm. But okay. I guess, I don't know. I guess it depends on like what you consider full sleeves. I mean, as a guy like me with no sleeves, you know, I see, <laughs> you know, a bunch of them on arm. I'm like, that guy's got a sleeve. Sure. It's, I mean, yeah, I guess it is. Yeah. I don't know. I'll ask him when I go downstairs. We'll put it in the in the episode notes <laughs> without context. Mitch has, does Mitch have sleeves? Yes. Yes or no? Y or N? Check one. Um, guys, yeah. do you know what we're talking about an album? We are so. If there was an award for like getting off task. <laughs> 
We would win. And I and I like that. And I and I love that. Um but we do need to talk to our friends in hate breed because this song is called I Will Be Heard Live. go yeah i uh i just like to think about hearing this song at 1 p.m on a sunday morning in that blazing july sun <laughs> like <laughs> goddamn good morning good that morning. is that is the the promise of any heavy music festival is you're gonna see some stuff in the daylight that you're like i don't know it was light <laughs> out when i saw mushroom head you know it's true that's true <laughs> that's a tough thing to see in the daylight Mm-hmm. And Matt, actually, if you want to go to 249 uh, for what I think is a very, very crucial moment that really gives you a little bit more uh, of what they were talking about and how this show was going just a little wild. That is not good when that's what you're saying live to an audience. <laughs> They're cutting a set. Come to our booth. Yeah, I mean, very much a, you know, what is, uh, you know, the, the hustle is real, you know, more than anything else. Really getting the idea of what it was like to be at that festival. Like, they're telling you you get 20 minutes, and then apparently you're getting the wrap it up sign at 17. You're like, man, alive. All right. Yeah, it really did. Uh, it made me, I got to say, for some of these live albums, like, I really did feel like I was there in that moment. Like, oh boy. Oh boy. You know, and the fact that they kept that in, they could have cut that. And uh, they kept that in. And I honestly think that's like to the credit of the album to really like give you the full, what was it like a tattoo of the earth? A little wild. Sets were cut short. People were yelling shit. Like, you know, come to the booth. Um, which I enjoyed. Jenny, what'd you think of this one? I, you know, I like Kate Breed. Liked this. Love to hear a call out, little sub tweet before tweets were a thing. No rock star fantasy bullshit here. Come hang out mm. with us. Uh, you know, hell, good on them. Love Hate Breed. Matt, do you have anything? Oh, uh, go ahead, Lauren. I'm sorry. Nothing new. I just fucking that song kills. It's great. They're doing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and Hatebreed coming back for today's 
you know, reunion or whatever, resurgence of Tattoo of the Earth. So clearly no true hard feelings, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Things that I mean, out for hate breed. Yeah, they're playing from 6.30 to 7.15. Probably a longer Little, set time that they had, you know. That's right. Yeah. Perhaps, perhaps. All right. I think we can just keep this going. All right. Up next, we got Surfacing live from our boys in Slipknot. Well, I want to thank you all for coming out today. And we will be back to this motherfucker again, goddammit. But right now, I need to see every fucking hand in the fucking air. And I need to hear every fucking voice on this song because it is your new national fucking anthem. This song is called Surfacing! We're going home on a party bag. I don't see this fucking hat in the air, come on! We know how it goes, but boy, is it great. (laughs) Oh, my God. There is so much great stuff in here. Corey's saying, we're definitely coming back to this motherfucker, which I love that. I love that. I love this is your new national fucking anthem. Okay, hats off, hand to the chest. Could you imagine? Could you imagine getting that call one day? Hey, everybody, they're uh, they're gonna retire the national anthem. They got a new one. It's surfacing. um, It's surfacing by Slipknot. So, I mean, just imagine every sporting event, and they have to play all of surfacing. This is the future liberals want, you know. It is. It is. Ah, what a dream! What a dream! You know. And then, uh, yeah, and then you can, you know, acapella surfacing at high school graduations, you know. There's, you know, the girl who can sing. She's going to sing. She's going to sing surfacing. Uh, we're going home in a body bag. I wrote that down. Uh, the pause where he says, let me see those middle fingers in the fucking air. That moment is so beautifully choreographed. Like, but that also shows that's one of those, like, these guys have been rehearsing and playing together for so long that they're a machine that they know we need to drop it right here because Corey's going to spit something incredible. And Corey's like, I know they're going to drop it right here so I can spit something incredible. Like just seeing that, you know, that tightness, even though you know these guys are all in jumpsuits. These guys have been playing in the hot sun. We know the sun's still out because it's like 7.30 when this song is playing. <laughs> and they're the last <laughs> band of the night. And they're the last band of the night. And they probably only had like, I don't know, a hot dog with no bun and a flat Fanta <laughs> right before they went on that stage. Yeah. So it's like when you consider all those things that they, they sound this good. Smell that jar so they would all throw up. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. What are these guys exactly. doing? How did they make it out of the 90s? 
uh true true survivors true survivors so for it to sound this good um incredible um at four o'clock at four o'clock at the four minute mark there is a come on pontiac jump moment i really like that i like the fact that he said pontiac i love it when they get that closely regional i wrote my note my notes that this is incredible shit glad this was captured history jenny what do you think surfacing new national anthem should we should we start the petition make it happen you know what at this point why not let's just throw some shit and see what sticks Mm -hmm. oh yeah now up next we have some some people who were actively tattooed on this tour i believe some slipknot tattoos did happen on this tour as well but we are going to be visiting our good friends in mudvane to hear them do dig live going for it too they're going for it too the they um (laughs) i sound not enthused shut up matt keep it rolling baby (laughs) matt they are going for it you are right you're right let's start with you matt they were going for it how did you feel about them going for it they were saying welcome to our fucked up world that's it i mean come on this is classic live show tropes like oh we're mudvane and we're a little twisted (laughs) Yeah, get ready, baby. The freak show's here. You ain't ready for this, even though we are at Tattoo the Earth, where we're amongst our own subculture, so everybody kind of all looks the same. Anyway, we're the weirdos. <laughs> Love it. Well, uh, you know, let, let me go to this. So they were, the, okay, so they were a little later. This was at 6.10 p.m., um, and they were following workhorse movement, which... Quite honestly, if they were following workhorse movement, this was a bit of a shift. And I like to think that they, according to the setlist.fm, uh, they were opening with Dig. So that means that you've had perhaps six to ten minutes of no music, possibly, depending on how fast they're getting this stuff turned around. So Mudvayne walk out. They're in their full prime era makeup and regalia. And the first thing this dude says is, welcome to our fucked up world, and then dig starts. That's how you start a set. That's how you start a set. And according to this, this, the set was dig, negative one, death blooms, under my skin, nothing to gain, internal primates forever, and cradle. I would say, if I was in Mudvayne in 2000, to really knock this out, you should do a Rick Springfield and open with dig and close with dig. (laughs) Like you really just, just, just slam it home. Like we got this. Remember one, dig. You know. <laughs> remember dig. Remember, remember twenty minutes ago. <laughs> well, here it is again. I don't think. I don't think there would have been a single complaint in the house. I don't think there. I don't think anyone was going to go home and say they played dig twice. Can you believe that? I mean, Jesse's girl gets played twice. You know. That's right. That's right. Um, I believe didn't Eddie Money? Uh, R.I.P. Didn't he used to? 
Oh, he would work for the weekend throughout. Fucking Kid Rock plays Bawa to Ba. At least teases it like four times during the show. So he's gotta he's gotta remind people why they're there. He comes out like like, you know, lights down. Bawa to Ba starts playing, and then he starts singing like cowboy or some shit. And then like halfway through the show, he's like, "Oh, Bawa to Ba is playing," and nope, only God knows why. And then three quarters, Bawa to Ba plays. He plays it. And then shittily plays every other instrument that uh, Twisted Brown Trucker has. Matt, if if I was teased Bawa to Ba, and then you played only God Knows Why instead, and I'm at a Kid Rock show, which means I'm in the cups, I might either punch someone in the face or I might get punched in the face. Like someone's not going to be – that's a bait and switch I can't get behind. I don't enjoy that. <laughs> uh, it's bound to happen. But uh, – it's bound to happen, though. Um, all right, let's uh, let's just keep this let's keep this going. Yeah, let's keep going. We are going to see some some old friends we haven't seen yet on this tour. Uh, up next, we got Head PE waiting to oh, die. Nope. No, oh, you're we right. Got, we got, Never we got mind. Slayer. I'm skipping fully ahead. Up next, we are returning to our friends in Slayer with Chemical Warfare. So we can take it back to haunting the chapel. This is chemical warfare. They're there. They're doing the damn thing. It's a tattoo of the earth, everybody. I don't really have anything else to say about Slayer. I found out recently that I guess they're done. Yes. Which really shows me, not with my finger on the pulse of the metal world in that regard. I thought Slayer was one of those things that would always exist. Mm. Um, That would just go forever as long as Carrie King had them fingies. But I guess not. I guess I guess they're done. I, I found this out because Carrie King... I guess is a new band and he was being interviewed somewhere and of course he had to say yeah it's gonna be even better and i was like okay okay <laughs> you're the man with the fingies so i'll i'll take your word for it yeah um yeah but uh yeah I, I don't really have anything i said i wrote my notes i'm not familiar with this song but also it sounds exactly like slayer would sound so at the same time i am familiar with the song because uh, it does not I didn't hear it and go Slayer? Like no, yeah, it's Slayer. But I yeah, I believe this is from I think he even says Haunting the Chapel, a Slayer record I have never heard of, but is part of their vast discography. Yeah. Um does anyone else have anything to say about Slayer or are we just going to sound like a bunch of ignorant slayheads? Wow, wow, wow. Wow, wow. Well, I like Slayer. This does sound like Slayer. <laughs> 
So perfect. I, perfect. You know what, what can you say? Slayer. What can you say? They're iconic. They've got a, a, a very distinct sound. What's not to like? Mm. Uh, now can we finally get to the band I've been trying to get to? Yes, please. Yes, Jenny. Yes. yes. Thank you. Head PE waiting to die live. Rock City, what's up? Rock City, what's up? Get bouncing like this. Punk Rock from Huntington Beach. NPE. Are you ready? I don't give a fuck. I'm a hitman, I'm a stalker, I'm a soldier, I'm a street walker. Fuck him. You know me, I'm a freak. Never slow down, never sleep. I get so high. Don't play with me, see me, stay away from me, just let me ride. Oh, you're gonna fade me, I shit that you fade to me. Everybody dies, everybody dies, everybody dies, just let me. I gotta tell you, this, this was just a stark reminder that Jared has been delivering for 20 years. He's never stopped. He was that good then. He's this good now. He's got a larger collection of songs to perform for you. And um, yeah, immediately when he was like, Rock City, what's up? I was like, ah, oh, there he is. Because I got to say, I got to tell you, Head PE on record, I'm kind of mixed. Head PE live, you got to go. You got to go. It's true. And they're touring all over. They did the new metal um, revival tour earlier this year, and they're doing one more tour. You got to go. If Head P.E. is coming to your town and you haven't seen him yet, you got to go. Jared delivers. He's a showman. He's a showman. And he knows how to put on a show. Um, from what I could tell, there was hard to find any complete set lists from Head P.E. The most I could find was from their, uh, their Suffolk Downs Boston show on this tour in which they did... Pock Bell, Bartender, Killing Time, and I Got You. And according to the book, they had about 25 minutes to perform. They were on the main stage. They performed this. Uh, this would have been at around 3.25 wow. in the afternoon okay. when they were performing this song. A late lunch. So, uh, really, some might call it snack time. Yeah. And let's be honest, surprised that there was no weed talk from Jared, of all people. Yeah, come on. I thought we were going to get some. But that has been deferred over to Lejean for some reason. But yeah, I thought they delivered it. If uh, if you were a head P uh, fan in there, you were gonna you were gonna get what you wanted. You're gonna get what you wanted. That's true. That's true. You spoke of Lejean, so let's visit him once more. Up next, we've got Seven Dust once again with Too Close to Hate live. Okay to get high. 
got a lot more weed talk here this one going out to all the police officers who won't let you smoke weed come on guys get with it get with it come on what are we doing what are we doing let them smoke let them smoke let the boys in seven dust smoke seven dust have a lot of swagger on this track there's also a lot of wah-wah going on here um, so I don't know if Mitch would want to hear this one, um, <laughs> but it was uh, it was it was very enjoyable. They really throw themselves into this. Lots of screaming and growls, and then at two forty five, they just start playing "Walk" by Pantera, and but they play a faster version, mm-hmm. and you can tell the audience is all about that. And that seems it seems that as time has gone on, that seems to be the sort of codified like if definitive pantera song it seems to be walk is that an agreement does that seem to be like if, if you're gonna like say like what's the like like hey who's pantera like what's the song you'd go to walk would be the one i think it depends on who's asking like walk for me is probably the one but i would guess that their most famous song is probably cowboys from hell hmm mm. It's true. That did get a lot of Z-Rock play back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my personal favorite is Five Minutes Alone. Or I'm Broken. One of the two. I guess mm. it depends on the day and my mood that I'm in. Yeah, I, I know. Like, uh, what's your what's your terratude that day? <laughs> yeah. Very true. I, I will say that um, I do think the last record, Reinventing the Steel, is kind of underrated. My understanding also is that I guess a lot of people think that it sounds like shit. And when I've listened to it, it sounds like every other Pantera record. It sounds pretty much across the board how they all sound. I mean, we can talk briefly. Pantera is back and it's very controversial as both of the Abbott brothers are deceased. And so we have Frank from Anthrax on drums. Frank Benante, if I'm saying that right. And um, Zach Wilde will be playing guitar. Matt, how do you feel about this? Okay. I'm not the biggest Pantera fan. It's difficult to go into it fully without knowing the whole context of how this came to be. I don't like it on the surface. I think with both brothers gone and how big a part of the band they are and then just Phil in general... It's very difficult to be like, I'm fully on board with this. And I wasn't a fan to begin with, so I wouldn't have seen it. But like in context of would I, here's the whole situation. Would you go see this reunion show? I would be like, no, no, I would not. Okay. Jenny. I don't really fuck with it, but it doesn't matter if I do or not. (laughs) So (laughs) it's happening, but I mean, whatever, whatever, man. Uh, 
<laughs> Whatever, man. You're not my family. Um, <laughs> right. It's very true. It's true. Very true. It was interesting to read the quotes from from Frank and from Zach in regards to coming back or coming into the fold to basically fill these roles. Frank's comments seemed very much like this is it, it felt more like he, he was almost playing it as like this is a tribute show. If it was Frank's call, it would be called like the Pantera Tribute Tour or something like that, which they're not calling it that. I mean, they they just announced that they're playing like a bunch of a slip, uh, not fest shows in Portugal and where have you. And it just says Pantera straight up. But Frank said that he's like, I'm not going to be drumming the way I drum on Anthrax stuff. I'm going to be drumming the way that he's like, I'm going to be channeling Vinny. And then, you know, it. I mean, from the sounds of it, Vinny was friends with him. It sounds like the Abbott brothers are very good friends with Zach Wild. Zach Wild seems to be saying once again, this is this is all about the tribute to these brothers. Um, I haven't heard. I don't think anything's been put out by Phil or Rex in, re- in that regard. I mean, it's always. It. I mean, it was always going to be fraught. I feel like. I guess the, the I I feel like having Zach and Frank lend it, lend it a little bit more cred since these are guys who had a noted history with the Abbott brothers and that feels you know better. But at the same time, I think we all know like why this is happening, and it makes a sound that goes like this: ching. Yep. Yeah, uh, I can tell you that if you want to you know elicit a little bit of a reaction, just go into a random. Uh, forum on a metal page or just a Facebook page of uh, someone who's into these type of bands and just say, how's everybody feeling about this? And uh, you're going to get some reactions. Yeah. Oh, you'll get, get answers. Thoughts. You get some thoughts and some feelings. Yeah. Lots <sighs> of feelings. Lots of feelings. Yeah. So, but glad we had a little bit of, I think it's called Terror Talk. Um, Terror uh, Talk. Glad, Terror Talk. Um, yeah. So, Jenny, we got a few more left. We do. Do you want to you want to hear from a band we haven't heard from yet? Yes. All right. Good. Because the next song is Nothing Face. Can't wait for violence live. Yeah. 
So as this track goes on, it actually gets very, very intense. And I wrote in my notes that this is a legitimately violent recording. And you know it is because I wrote in my notes, man, oh man, they are chugging. This is uh, pretty intense. This is from the violence record. And uh, I thought this was uh, very, very good. I thought they did a great job. And uh, it was interesting, though, to see that they got on the record, considering that they played this at 2.10 in the afternoon. And they were followed by One Minute Silence, Amen, and Cold. And yet none of them made the record. It's just interesting who did and didn't make the record. Because I feel like Cold in 2000, they're coming off of 13 Ways to Bleed on Stage. Or at least I think that record's out at this point or about to come out. So I think that Cold would be... I mean, they're certainly higher up on the the Showtime list than uh, some of these other bands. But they didn't make it. They didn't make it. This uh, this book does confirm uh, what little it does say about Casey Chaos and Amen, that my man was always just flopping around on that stage, just just falling down, jumping around. That's just That was his move. That is his move. i got to believe, though, he's got some mega arthritis now, just, just, just throwing himself around. But, you know, to be young, right? To be young. To be young. To be young. Jenny, how would you feel about this one? I thought it was fine. Definitely not my fave on the record, but hell, not mad at it. There you go. All right, Matt, next up, we got one that this is a song by a band that we actually, Jenny, uh, we got recommended this band on a Who's Tweeting episode. We were not familiar. We have since learned that they are local boys, and we had thought that they kind of weren't that heavy. So let's just see how they do here. Who we got? All right, up next we got the Workhorse Movement with Keep the Sabbath Dream Alive. Sometimes when the people all the way in that little middle section aren't doing their job. All right, we got to pick some spots here, man. I want to see a fit right here. Who's out there? Who's out there? I want to see one right there. The motherfucker with his hands in the air. Take someone down. Come on. Make this motherfucker burn. see a pit over there and i want to see it over there i want to see all these pits all right where's my guitarist i want you to play something funky what did somebody (laughs) order something funky oh you know what shit funky ken someone did the workhorse movement did but they also want pits funky ken I want to ask you. We in just your called experience. them dance circles in my day. 
I gotta say, yeah, that was my question, Funky Ken. Have you ever even been in a mosh pit? Oh no, Funky Ken's shoes are too high for that, baby. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't wanna sense. twist my ankle. No, no. That'll take you out for the summer. That'll be no good for you. That's true, baby. Anyway, gotta this... go. Oh, oh, okay. Wow. Oh. As wow. Quickly as he arrived. He must be very gotta... busy. Yeah, I got to say, he moved very quickly for someone with such high shoes. Oh, I mean, yeah. but you know what, though? He knows how to wear them, you know? A lot of practice. It's a lot of practice, you know? Um, uh, Jenny, we once had a conversation about, you know, uh, what should and shouldn't be worn on a stage. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you said, you know, that a lot of these rules that are made about what people can wear on stage are made by men who don't know that women know how to wear a pair of high heels. They know what they're doing trust them yeah i mean and some yeah well okay <laughs> wait a minute now lauren mm-hmm. we've had this conversation i don't <laughs> are you referring to the conversations that we've had where you've complained about women wearing heels when you're doing a well, show and i've told you well, to shut up about what women are wearing well, when they're doing shows well, no it was well it was a thing was that no we had talked about this because it was a, it was a thing that is ingrained in you of like what is proper stage etiquette, what is you should and shouldn't wear on a stage, and then when I came to you about this, you said, "Well, who made that rule? Who told you that rule?" You know, and then it's like a like a you know mind expansion situation, and then you're like, "Yeah, because yeah, people people are gonna wear what they know how to wear and comfortably exist in on a stage, what have you." So yes. I'm saying, that, yeah. If you know you're going to wear something, you're going to know how to move in it. Yeah. You can wear what you're exactly. comfortable in. Exactly. So in the case of Funky Ken, who moved very swiftly in his platforms, the guy, that's his natural being. Yeah. He knows exactly how to move. Unlike someone like me, who's never worn a platform shoe, who would definitely fuck up his ankles. Yeah. You just yeah. need a little yeah. time, a little practice. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, but this, um, going back to the workhorse movement, yeah, this was one of the strangest moments on this entire album was him saying i want all these pits and then basically playing like i don't know a heavier red hot chili pepper song mm. very it felt weird more like a summertime party anthem to me that like he's a, that he's growling for some reason hey this comes on this is a good beer break song need one of those <laughs> just what you want you're you're saying i want i want i want all these pits to open up and everyone's like everybody want to drink everybody thirsty next round's on me i'm gonna go you guys open the pit so i can easily get out see you later yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and this was this was at 5 30 in the afternoon so perfect time to to refresh before before dinner honestly you know this is prime beer time baby yeah what um Jenny, Matt, what was the food situation at the Phoenix Plaza? Do you remember? Well, for Warp Tour, they weren't actually at Phoenix Plaza, the proper elevated amphitheater. They had mm-hmm. set up in that large parking lot that was across from all the Pontiac clubs and the Phoenix Plaza. So Parked there many times. So yes. that is where the whole deal was set up. So it was just your average caravan of carnival foods yeah i remember pizza gyros yeah fries hot dogs yeah nothing nothing remarkable if i recall correctly 
Fair enough. All right. I think we got a question. Got a more. Yeah, you do. Oh, have Matt, a question. yes. Uh, how respectful of our time is this album? This album comes in at one hour and six minutes. Is that right? They, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't yeah. think that's super respectful. I think they probably could have cut out five minutes with the intro to every song having 10 to 20 seconds of crowd noise. That is true. However, I'm going to push back on that a little bit and say that's sort of the joy of a live album. True. With it being so many different artists, it's like everybody has to have their opportunity to do that. Whereas if we're focusing on one band's live album, I would ask that they perhaps be mindful of the banter. But IDK, there's a lot in there. Yeah, I feel like if you don't have the banter, it kind of makes this a less interesting record. Um, Those touches of color, I think, add a lot. And without them, this might honestly be a little little more, a little less essential Mm. um, in a lot of ways. You want to cut that this is your new national fucking anthem, Matt? No, I don't. But in that last song, I need like a second of crowd noise before the lead singer starts talking. Not, this is the last song we listen to's opener. This isn't the first track anymore. I know it's a live record. Oh, let's see, what are we at? That's 10 seconds of crowd noise. I don't need fucking 10 seconds of crowd noise every track for an album I do know is a live album. The first track, I need 10 seconds of crowd noise. What's up, dude? Hey, Matt. do you know who the real stars of Tattoo the Earth were? The fans. <laughs> wow. Wow, wow, wow. There you go. I take it all the fuck back. I am wrong. <laughs> and you're right. You're right. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. Uh, wow. All right. Well, I think we got, what, we got two left? We do. Two more to go. Uh, up next, we got UPO with Dust Live. Which, which I have been reading as Durst. Yeah. The Durst. whole time. Yeah. Durst, Durst. live. Durst. Rise up, Detroit! This is your time here today. You're making history here today with this fucking concert. A lot of concerts will come and go, but you're part of the first fucking Tattoo of the Earth fucking tour. dare you wait 13 songs to change me tattoo the earth wow, how wow, dare wow. you wow wow matt matt you uh. knew it was gonna happen it was coming 
And hey, man, this band, I'd never heard of this band before. Jenny, have you ever heard of UPO before? No, I had not heard of this band. So I looked them up, and just so you know, they are prominently labeled on Wikipedia as a post-grunge band. That is their prominent genre tag. And their album that they were touring at this time, it was called No Pleasantries. No, thank yous. Mm-mm, no, no, no. Uh, but I'll be honest. I mean, I love a chain zane. So I thought this was actually pretty good. Um, this made me uh, want to hear a little bit more. Um, a little bit, know a little bit more about UPO. Wow. Uh, mm. And uh, yeah, I looked them up. They've only, they only had two records. This one and then another record in 2004 called The Heavy. And then, as so many bands did, they uh, they broke up. Um, I believe they have since reunited in some capacity. Oh, uh, no, I stand corrected. They've never reunited. <laughs> They're done. They're done so, baby. Wow, wow, wow. Um, but, um, but there was a member of the band whose name, this is a, um, oh, he is, um, oh, he's the founder. Oh, one of these guys went on to found uh, Five Finger Death Punch. His name is Zoltan Bathory. That's a top tier name. <laughs> That's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I get, you know, so it worked out for them. That's, that's why they never reunited guys in five finger, man. He's a five finger. He's wow, doing wow, fine. Wow. 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 Well, that's good. That's good. I wasn't interested in learning more when I heard this, I felt rudely changed and I said, get away from me. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you. You're welcome, yeah. Matt. I will. UPO, they were making history. Yeah. Making history. Oh, Okay. Yeah, it was, um, yeah. Well, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting that they were so like, you are making history right now, given how much the book just basically said this tour was a disaster, but I guess they did feel like they were like working the kinks out. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. I would say uh, one thing that, that we kind of haven't talked about too much is that this book does also um, catalog Scott's uh, relationship with his wife and how my man is pushing it to the limit. He's pushing this woman to the limit and he's aware of that, but it is interesting. Once again, the, the, the stuff that he decides to leave in the stuff he decides to leave out because it does feel like he really did take his wife to the limit on this. What did you think about that? How he portrayed that in the book? Oh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, again, that was one of those things where I felt like we really, I, I could have used more. I could have used more perspectives. I think that is one thing that, that could have made um, this book even more interesting is getting like a collection of perspectives. I would have loved to have heard more from her perspective. Um there, there were just a lot of perspectives missing, but yeah, I mean, I was just like, how in the fuck, how in the fuck did you not lose your mind? Yeah. And it sounds like she did uh, eventually, mm-hmm. and then they, they worked it out. So, you know, that's that's great. Um, mm-hmm. But wow, wow, wow. Yeah, I think I think a version of this book that would have been more of an oral history where they just would talk to clown and they would talk to 
all the other people and the other tattoo artists and so you have all those different perspectives i think would have been it would have been pretty interesting although it would i will say this i have read a number of oral histories that have been very interesting but also reading an oral history can also be a very it's not a smooth read necessarily because it's like quote 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 and there's no like narrative holding it together and you can tell that sometimes putting those together can be very frustrating the best of those that i've read and recently was um the um i want my mtv oral history of mtv that book is incredible i think that one's really well constructed the meet me in the bathroom one about like the history of like the early 2000s like garage rock run of everything that book's good could have been great i read a critique that somebody said like they should have waited like five more years uh, that it was made too soon after all that had happened um but but yeah but if you don't but i mean but at the same time the gaps in a way are part of the charm of this book <laughs> yes. fact that it's just because it's moving it's moving we are not dwelling it's this crazy thing happened well all right next city let's go yeah and and to be fair you do get a bit of the oral history feel in the limited patio slaves uh series as well so i listened to the first one of that it looks like there will be six total the sixth talking about the the show that's about to take off today you know that'll that'll be out sometime uh in the next week or so so i guess if i really want that it's available to me you know so yeah absolutely so there we go Um, so maybe i should just listen up Maybe. maybe 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 what i want exists and it's a mere clicky do or two away you know mm-hmm. hmm. yeah. we have Very one true. song left one left and this is uh the only women performing on the tour uh or in this band nashville pussy this is go to hell live You blew 
it because it took <laughs> Matt, you a Matt, minute wait, wait, and forty wait, seconds Matt, to get there. Matt, Matt, you know where you know when you start riffing on a song and then all of a sudden you're like, wait, I just thought of some incredible banter. Stop everything. <laughs> I gotta get the banter out. All right, now start the song. Now start the song. I mean, yeah. Once you get, um, once you get about two minutes in, uh, you get some pretty vivid lyrics about who the singer wants to go to hell, which is his wife, who's been two timing him, uh, literally. And I mean, this was fine. I don't have a ton of history with Nashville Pussy, but I thought this was, uh, this was fine. It's a, it's a very self-deprecating song, incredibly self-deprecating song. Uh, Jenny, what'd you think of this one? I thought it was all right. Um, there was definitely like a time when I was into music like this, and that time doesn't. It's not hanging around anymore. It's also, you know, more than six minutes long, which is too long for this. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, for me, for me, this album lost a little steam toward the end here. Um, But, you know, maybe that's just like how it felt to be on the tour as well. Yeah. By the end, the you're end, like, like yeah. you know what? Let's just be fucking done here. Yeah, just take me home, please. Yeah. Yeah. I want to see yeah. my family. <laughs> <laughs> Can yes. I see my family? Can I? And it's uh, so bad. I wrote most of these songs about them. So. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. Uh, and that's the album. That is Tattoo the Earth, The First Crusade. Um, and... Uh, now we're at the part of the show where we talk about cannon talk. Talk about the cannon. Uh, Jenny, we'll start with you. I guess thoughts on the record and overall thoughts on the book. The record, to me, on its own, there's really, it's very like neither here nor there for me. Um, knowing that they had one shot to record it and it turned out this well, I think that's really cool. I think it's a perfectly fine live record. If you're into these bands, um, makes sense to me that they released it. It seems like a lot of the tours were doing that as another, uh, revenue source. So I get it. Um, it was pretty unremarkable to me. There wasn't anything on here that I was like, oh, holy shit, this is like amazing standout. Um, there also wasn't anything on there that I was like, this is fucking terrible, even if I didn't care for some of it. Um, the book, very interesting. Lots of questions. Uh, his memoir, too, uh, which I, of course, let's see, what's it called? Uh Get Off uh, is actually pretty interesting, too, if you're interested in, in learning more about Scott Alderman, the man. Uh, pretty breezy read. Um, the book itself, very chaotic, uh, which probably reflects what the tour was like in general and, and how it came together. Um, but interesting and definitely worth the read if you're interested in the subject matter. It's kind of a wild ride. Um for the canon, I, I don't know that I really have anything necessarily. I mean, there's like a, a, all manner of, of things that could go in the junk drawer probably from this book. Um, but yeah, I mean, I had a good time reading the book. I had a fine time listening to the record, but nothing for the canon for me. Lauren, what do you think? Uh, yeah, the record on its own 
is fine. It's it really does function as sort of like a souvenir. Like if you were at the show, it's like a nice reminder of what you were at. I don't really think there's anything essential for the canon. I feel like the national anthem talk on surfacing would be great for the junk drawer. That felt really cool to me. Overall, you know, I had I honestly it was a pretty like you said a pretty breezy listen. For the most part, I felt like it kind of moved moved along well, so I never really felt like I was sort of trapped with this album, even though it was a longer record, but I kind of knew that going in, so just sort of like, what was it like, you know? And then once you have the context of the book, all of the banter around certain things takes on different contexts, which I liked, so I feel like the book with the album is, is kind of essential. You kind of have to have the two together. Uh, the book itself, incredible read something wild on every page um that you want to like yeah like you jenny were like texting me like have you started this fucking book i'm six pages in holy shit and um yeah you get a lot of a a lot of information there we haven't talked about too much of the of the various tattoo artists that do get mentioned but he does uh scott does truly love the art of tattooing he does love all of these artists and is really trying to navigate a lot of egos on both sides which i think i think is really Maybe what torpedoed it in a lot of ways is that if you've got rock star egos and you're just dealing with that, then that's one thing. But then you have the rock star egos plus the tattoo world egos, which also couple in with like the tattoo artists are like, we're this, you know, we're this subculture. Like, you know, not just anybody can get in here who's about that life. And so there was a lot more like, um, deals that were sort of like if we get this guy that gives us the cred to be about tattooing and if we don't have this guy what are we going to do but then when they get some of these guys you see i mean i feel like they're bigger i felt there were bigger egos in regards to tattoo artists than there were rock stars in this book i felt like there was a lot more tattoo guys who were like whoa hey do you know who the fuck i am (laughs) Um, yeah I also think there's a third ego here, and that's a Scott ego. Yeah, there's a big Scott ego going on too for being like real, and also like substances are big at play here. Some yeah, uh, loosey goosey wild use of substances as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh, but yeah, so I don't. Yeah, I I would say my one thing would be yeah the national anthem talk for the junk drawer, um, and I highly recommend the book. So I guess the book for the junk drawer. I guess is the way I would go as well. Yeah, I mean, do we have a bookshelf? Um, I I can't recall. Um, I mean, I guess we sort of do. I mean, we've done. Uh, we did Max Cavalera's book, mm-hmm. and we read. Um, the well, we uh, read s- the uh, Freddy versus Jason situation. Mm-hmm. That's right. We read Sully's book. We did. Now how could I forget that? <laughs> Never forget that book. The raining body um, parts will stay with mm-hmm. me. Yes. We read Sully's book. We read Fieldy's book. That's right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And um, and you and I both did. I read half of Head's book. I don't know how much of Head's book you read. I didn't get too far. Yeah, and then he canceled, and then we didn't finish. I haven't. I never finished the book. Uh, one of his. I've learned. Head has five books. Yeah, that's a lot of books. Lot to say. That's a lot of books. A lot of books. But yeah, we never actually talked about that on the show. So I guess we sort of do have a bookshelf, Jenny. Yeah, we could put this book on the bookshelf. I believe. Okay. All right, there you go. There it is, Matt. Over to you. Uh, nothing for the canon. Um, agree with the junk drawer or the uh, the bookshelf that we just decided there. Kind of an interesting piece of his ephemera i guess 
20 plus years on, I feel like the stigma against tattoos is pretty much all but been eliminated. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, I do remember like 20 years plus ago, someone who had a tattoo was like, they're ruffians, they're outsiders. Like in the 90s, it was just starting to be a little bit more of a thing. But then like the mid 2000s happened and it was like, when Rachel got a tattoo on Friends, it was like everybody started getting tattoos in the mainstream. And now it's kind of like I can't walk into a restaurant without seeing like 72 black tattoos that I don't understand at all, but are obviously significant to the person who has them on their legs. It's like, cool. Do you, man? Do you? I am like, I mean, I'm such a goody goody. I don't think I will ever get a tattoo. Oh, tattoo talk, Lauren, you and me. We getting tattoos, bro? Oh man, Matt, you and I getting tattoos. I mean, Jenny, if we if Matt and I were to get tattoos, where should we get them? <laughs> I don't and think what you, should it be? I'll tell you guys right now, I'm gonna be honest with you, I don't think you should get any tattoos. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you are correct. Okay. That is the correct answer. I yes. think that if you choose to get a tattoo, you should go for it. But I I wouldn't be suggesting any tattoos on you guys because I just don't know what it would be, and oh, it'd be Coach Bros. In the Coach Bros. Coach Bros. Yeah, right on the Coach Bros. Test. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be skipping the. You're not gonna get a Coach Bros. On <laughs> You're gonna get Coach Bro Tat. No, I'm not. Oh, unfortunately, man. because we are doing tattoo talk, I think now will be the time for me to share the. The tattoo that was described in this book, you said you'll give me a minute to look it up, Lauren. I don't need to look it up because it's the only thing I'll remember from recording this podcast for more than five years. I almost rolled over and woke Sweet Mitchell up to tell him about this. (laughs) There's a tattoo of the Rolling Stones logo on his arm surrounded by tribal. I'm going to fucking take my headset off now. Now, look. I got to go. As a person who has bad tattoos, whatever, and maybe he really likes it, but to me, that sounds like a completely fucking bonkers.com.org.gov <laughs> tattoo. I was like, oh, 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 what? And this was also pretty early mentioned pretty early on in the book so i feel like at that time like i hadn't really it's like when you're on a ship and there's like lots of waves and you're like jesus like this thing's knocking me all over the place and then eventually you get your sea legs i didn't have my sea legs yet so now as i'm saying this i'm like of course he has that tattoo like yeah you know but at the time i was like what um you know throwing up off the side of the boat all that stuff um yeah, I think I think at one point he even talks about like getting something covered at another point, which strikes me as the is it just really comes back to your your rule, Jenny, which is that you don't get tattoos of people that are alive who can fail you because then eventually you're gonna have to get it covered up or something or, uh, or wear it forever. Yeah, I mean, all I'll say it's like J.K. Rowling, baby. Right. <laughs> uh, uh. But yes, I do have that rule. Uh, you know, Sweet Mitchell does have lots of tattoos of of folks uh, living. So, you know, he and I talked about the rule and he was like, well, what about me? And I was like, well, you know, it's my rule for me. 
Um, maybe I'll break it someday. I don't know. I just feel like you never fucking know. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll find out that all books are like <laughs> are bad. bad. I, it sounds like a lot of it sounds like that might be the take uh, politically in the U.S. now. But mm. any whomst, you know, a mm. lot of a lot right. of Harry Potter tattoos out there. And yeah. it's got to be tough when J.K. is coming out with horrendously bad fucking takes. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So. yeah. Plus, these Fantastic Beast movies look like shit. You know? Right. Oh, Maybe, yeah. Else. More importantly, <laughs> just get your shit together. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, most recently, I mean, I, I saw one of just like the trouble that you can have. Sylvester Stallone is apparently his wife uh, filed for surprise divorce from him and apparently over a long time argument about getting a dog and so sylvester stallone had his wife's face tattooed on his shoulder so apparently he was served and then days later he was seen out and about and he had her face covered with a picture of the dog wow 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 and, Is that a um, tattoo got him? It's really just saying, you know, who's never going to disappoint me? This, this animal, dog. boy, this dog. I have to watch. Yeah. I have to watch Cliffhanger again. Classic. Mm. Yeah. Well, you're going to love this, Jenny. This is right up your alley. Apparently, all of this is happening while they've been filming a Stallone reality show about inside the life of the Stallone family yeah. and the daughters and everything. All right. So this is going to be in there. I was like, I heard that that was, I'm like, Jenny's going to watch this shit. You, She'll let me know what happens. Oh, without a doubt. I've got you covered. Thank you. Fully. Don't worry about Thank it. You. I'm all over it. I'm all over it. All right. All right. Can't wait for those text updates. Um, And there you have it. It's Tattoo the Earth, everybody. We read the book. We did the album. And uh, you know what? I feel like in a little bit of a way that I was there, you know, a yeah. little bit. Yeah, me too. A little bit. And I and I yeah. hope this revival one-off show goes well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I hope this all comes together. Maybe they do some more. Maybe one day we get to go to a another tattoo of the earth. Maybe they do a tattoo of the earth at Pine Knob. Oh, that'd be great. That'd be great. That'd be wonderful. Get some fries. Get some fries. Get a new lip tat yeah oh yeah forgot about the tattoos there just like all the tattoo artists complained about i did it too they were right they were right they were right so yeah so that's great so yeah so i hope and and, yeah as jenny has mentioned throughout the episode uh definitely do check out the series uh over at the patio slave podcast um like six episodes talking to scott talking to derek from sepultura talking to brian from overcast and shadows fall shannon larkin from amen and godsmack scott ian and frank bellow from anthrax lejean and even more um that'll be up by the time that this episode goes up so definitely check all that out um probably a little more in depth than ours but probably (laughs) maybe um, maybe but not you will let me tell you those podcasts will have zero talk about jenny getting a tattoo so keep that in mind or will it oh shit shit. it won't it won't (laughs) uh all right so uh that brings us to the end of another episode thank you so much for listening keep on saying hello online facebook twitter instagram we're roach coach and all those send us an email roachcoachpodcast at gmail.com head over to the patreon patreon.com slash roachcoachpodcast as we've been teasing a special patreon exclusive app is coming 
So stay tuned oh, for that. God. That's right. And until next time, Jenny, thank you. Lauren, thank you. Matt. Matt. Thank, thank you. you. <laughs> thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.